hello everyone welcome back to the books we read um and this is gonna be a, a more of a synopsis episode looking at the very best books that we read in 2022 uh so jaron just before we recorded you mentioned something about um how goodreads has a reading challenge you can set for yourself each year um and i think we both did that if i'm correct so can you tell me how many books have you read on your goodreads challenge sure well, I set my challenge for 26 books. That is one book every two weeks, and I thought that that should be a baseline of doable. Um, I've set my challenge for 26 for the past three years, and I've actually always gone quite a bit above that. But this year, I ended up at 38 books. Oh, wow. Okay, so you kind of blew past that, yeah, that challenge. Beyond. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I set mine for 80 books uh, this year, and, but it was just kind of an arbitrary number. I was like, I, this year... I just want to read more slowly, you know, more depth, things like that. Well, I missed that memo and read 96. I don't know what happened, but if you look at, you can follow us both on Goodreads, by the way. If you look at my list versus Jaren's, pretty sure mine has a lot of shorter books that are much more broad and that are a little lighter reading <laughs> um, than what Jaren would uh, would probably do. So that's probably why. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. Jaren, I should just look at your list and, and find out. Yeah, we should compare each other's lists. I think there's probably actually some overlap. I think in general, you and I gravitate towards different types of books. Um, so that could, that could make a difference also. I wonder if there's a way where you've read what other people in yeah, your challenges on the, have read. On the desktop app, go to my profile and... You can click compare books. My profile or your profile? My profile, if you want to compare Your profile. Me. Yeah. I don't know how to find you. Um, goodreads.com slash Jaron Miller, I think. Okay, so this is kind of fun. Actually, we can compare challenges here, and it looks like we did read some of the same books. You read uh, Proper Confidence. Yes, I did. Did what? you? Yes, I did. That's actually on my list to talk about a bit later on. Oh, really? Okay, because, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. One's, that one's really good. Lived Not By Lies, we were talking about. Uh, yep. Oh, Wild at Heart. We reviewed Wild at Heart on this podcast, yes, by the way. So I guess you uh, you reread it, or or no. no did you read it for that That was podcast? actually the first time I read it. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I read it back in the day and then kind of leafed through it again this year. I'm actually not seeing any other overlap. <laughs> Whoops. No, well, not this year. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. Oh, this is kind of fun. <gasps> Wait a minute. You read The Eye of the World? Yes, I did. And? Did, was well, fan it? fantasy isn't really my thing. I'm, I've been reading Tolkien recently. Actually, I'm halfway through The Hobbit at the present. So I'm trying to get into it. Um, so I struggle with it because I just don't read a lot of fantasy. I'm trying to. I It can be very high-quality literature, and I'm trying to make myself read more of it. It's a bit of a struggle. I actually read that one because I'm in a book club that read it. <laughs> nice. Not because <laughs> I would have done so on my own. But it was it was good. It was worthwhile. Interesting. I want to finish the series, but I haven't had the gumption yet since it's very long. So for the for those listeners who don't know, it's basically, a, yeah, it's a fantasy series, and there's like 20-something books in it or something mm-hmm. absurd, and they're all like, I don't know, 800 pages yeah, long. Yeah, roughly 700, 800 pages. Yeah, so it's it's a very big commitment to read the series. Right. Yeah. So I'm not sure I'm that committed. <laughs> Some people are. Anyways, well, that was kind of interesting. I, I had never done that before. Um, so yeah, good reads, got some good stuff in there. Um, so we're using that as a bit of a back and forth, uh, to say what was our most favorite reads, uh, of this year and we'll, uh, we'll see where it goes. So yeah, Jaron, what's your first one? My first one is Proper Confidence that you just mentioned. Ah. I've read that book twice now. I went through it again this year. Um, it's a small book 
and doesn't take much to read, but it's very substantive. It's about epistemology, um, and it asks a question about confidence and the kind of confidence that we can have in knowing things. So it answers some of the questions that I have, and at least he proposes answers. Not sure I'm entirely convinced, but I found it to be quite helpful in thinking about the place for confidence and knowledge. So he he starts with some historical background, talks about Rene Descartes, you know, the thing of, I think, therefore am. How did he find confidence in knowing anything or confidence in even his own existence? By doing so, he started with the premise of doubt. Through doubt, he was able to come to confidence. Newbegin questions that premise and challenges the readers to move beyond doubt as only as the primary starting point for confidence and accepting things such as faith and relationship as resources in our knowledge. Oh, that's that's fascinating. Yeah, I literally just finished that last week. Really? Yeah. It was a really good read. I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. It didn't make my list, oddly enough. I don't know why it didn't make my list, but glad you mentioned that. Okay, so my... Um, uh, to kick my list off, I read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey. Um, this is such a classic, it's hard to believe I hadn't read it yet because it kind of fits my genre of things. Um, but I immediately see why it sold tens of millions of copies. It's something like over 40 million copies, I'm going to say now. It's written in the 80s. Um, it is truly that good. The The life principles there are, are transformative if you get a hold of them. Um, in a way, it kind of started the whole, not started, but has created so many copycats in the self-help productivity uh, business space that as you're reading this book, it's like, oh, this is a concept or an illustration that I've heard somewhere else because it was that influential, at least in, in America. So yeah, I, I highly recommend it. That was quite, uh, quite interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Have you read that one? No, I haven't. But okay. uh, my department at work, uh, we're currently going through the video series. Um, there's a series of lectures or talks that's has the same title and covers some of the same concepts ah, so yeah. we're maybe a quarter of the way through it uh-huh. um, so i've been introduced to that but i haven't read the book yeah it's 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 i kind of put it off because it's one of those that's like so famous and popular you know among self-help gurus and whatever it's kind of like eh, well, you know, it can't be that great and it, it actually was it it yeah it was really worth it but anyways what's your next book peanut butter and dragon wings by sherry zook um, what I don't know what this is. What is this? You haven't heard of the book. No, no, I'm so It's published by Harold Press or Menno Media, written by Sherry Zook, who happens to go to my church, so I have some personal connection with her. But it's a a fabulous book, very well written. Um, It's a memoir where she is speaking a lot from her own experience and very substantive. I'm not going to get into what she has to say, except I will just say, read it for yourself. As I read it, um, actually, Sarah and I read it together, I think. Many times we found ourselves just viciously, <laughs> hilariously laughing. She has a wonderful way with words, is a fabulous storyteller, and very effective communicator. Um, so, yes, read Peanut Butter and Dragon Wings. You will love it. I just found it on your Goodreads profile and just kind of glancing at it here. This looks great. I need to buy a copy of this. Thank you for that recommendation. I think it's written for women. I know, but I think, uh, I think the two of us, I think my wife would love it. Like just looking at what it's about. 
Mm-hmm. Anyways. Yeah, I can see Trish loving it. Yeah, interesting. Okay, very cool. Um, okay, so my next book here is Doing Good Better by William McCaskill. Uh, have you heard of the effective altruism movement? No. It's It started at Oxford University-ish, um, and this book outlines basically that, uh, the essential concepts uh, of that movement. Um, he, he's one of the founders. Uh, I think he, he taught at Oxford for a while, I'm going to say, PhD in like philosophy, something like that. Um, and then they founded this organization called 80,000 Hours. Um, so 80,000 Hours is the roughly the amount of time um, a person will put into their career over the course of their life. And the whole concept being what are you giving your 80,000 hours to? Is it the most effective use of your time? And he he has all these ways of like looking at the nonprofit space and these charities and humanitarian aid and things and really analyzing data-driven, is this the most effective use of money and time, resources, things like that? Um, I work in the nonprofit sector. It's like this, this book spoke my language. It is very profound. He's not a Christian, um, so some of the, you know, premises maybe I wouldn't agree with but like the the way it's outlined is excellent um and the best part is you can go to the eighty thousand hours website and they'll just give you one for free which is kind of cool um so that's that's what i did because hey can't beat that um yes if you work in the nonprofit space or even just like organizational leadership or something this book is is well worth your time not for everybody but yeah i found it very helpful Wonderful. It's hard to turn down a free book, so I might take your recommendation there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. If you're interested in any kind of anything new with humanitarian aid, yeah, you can't go wrong on this one. All right. And my next book is Unapologetic by Francis Spufford. The subtitle of Unapologetic is Why Despite Everything, Christianity Still Makes Surprising Emotional Sense. I would see this book connected quite a bit to Proper Confidence, although the tone is very different. Um, proper Confidence um, just has a very different audience in mind than Francis Bufford. Spufford is writing to a secular British audience. He's a British writer, um, so he has his own British people in mind. And he's starting from the point of he's kind of embarrassed to be a Christian. It's no longer fashionable to be a Christian in the UK, which he is very well aware of, but he still thinks Christianity is worthwhile and worth defending. So he defends Christianity and apologetic, but not using a traditional apologist method. He defends it um, emotionally, making the case that Christianity serves a place um, emotionally and is defensible from that angle. Yeah, we were talking earlier about apologetics. Um, mm-hmm. For those who have become disillusioned with apologetics, read this book. It's a it's a bit of a, bit of a different approach. Um, you know, I'm not encouraging people to approach the defense of Christianity the same way Francis Buffer does. Although I think it can be helpful in providing some categories and frameworks to think in that differ from traditional apologetics. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. I might have to give that one a give that one a chance. That that is interesting because we were yeah before we started recording we were kind of talking through some of our um, disillusionment with with typical Christian apologetics and just feels like it's kind of empty in some ways. And that that's a whole another topic we'll tackle maybe in another episode or something sometime. And so I've just mm-hmm. been kind of wrestling through that at the moment and uh, always looking for good stuff. So yeah, I'll have to look that one up. Um, 
Okay, so the next one I have is So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport. And I've reviewed a couple of Cal Newport books on this podcast because I, I just love his work. He's, he's a really good way of explaining th- things like work and how it's done in the 21st century and just, yeah, things like uh, attention and not getting distracted by um, the influence of digital um, interruptions. Uh, and this is one of his earlier books, but it definitely doesn't disappoint. The core premise is um, this advice we hear of just follow your passion, do what you love. And he starts off the book saying, yeah, that's just like the worst advice you could ever get. Um, that's a terrible idea. Uh, uh, there, We have people like Steve Jobs making his famous speech at, I think it was Stanford, saying, if you just follow your passion, you know, that's what I did. And I invented Apple. Um, when really that's not how the world actually works. So Newport's whole point is what you should be doing is investing in learning valuable skills instead. Um, that's way more important than passion because what even is passion? It's, it's so hard to, oh yeah, it's, it's, it would take a lot to unpack the, the thesis of the book or like all the things he's saying, but I found it extremely helpful and actually a down to earth look at how work and life actually function because it's so ethereal and idealistic to be like, oh, just follow your heart. And it's like, that often doesn't work out very well. You end up broke and impoverished if you do that. Um, And this book was definitely a breath of fresh air um, on that front. So yeah, highly recommend it. Yeah. Wow. I would love to read that. I've read some other stuff by Newport, but not that one in particular. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's well well worth it. It was a surprisingly interesting book. I thought it'd be kind of boring, but it's actually good. So Okay, and my next book is Neither Complementarian Nor Egalitarian by Michelle Lean Barnwall. The subtitle is A Kingdom Corrective to the Evangelical Gender Debate. So I read the book in the quest to try to make more sense of the egalitarian versus complementarian dispute that happens within evangelicalism where Christians are trying to figure out how do we live faithfully um, in accordance with the epistles teaching about the role of women in family and the church? Should women be church leaders or not? What kind of authority do women have in the home in relation to their husband? So there's all kinds of discussions that have been happening around this um, for a long time. People take different positions represented by complementarian, complementarianism and egalitarianism. Um, in this book, Michelle Lee Barnwell doesn't try to answer that question. But it was still very helpful in the discussion in that she suggests a new set of questions that those approaching the discussion should be asking. Um, one of her primary points is that it's important that when we're thinking about authority anywhere, whether it's family or church or work, we need to be using the same definitions that the New Testament have in mind. And it's crucial that we see leadership as sacrifice, um, authority, as serving others, and not a matter of um, power and control. If we have power and control in our mind when we're approaching this conversation, regardless of whether we end up on the complementarian or egalitarian side, we won't have in mind what the New Testament has in mind. So it's a helpful reframing of the questions. 
So just to make sure I'm understanding it well. So it's not like, read this book, it'll give you all kinds of answers and has a very clear stated position. It's more about providing context to better understand the issues. Is that a, a good exactly? It mm. won't provide you with answers. It will provide you with context and better questions. I, so I pulled it up on Amazon. This looks really interesting and really good. Okay. Yeah. You know what I do whenever someone recommends a good book? I just save it to my shopping list, and then one day I buy it and then read it. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. It will be helpful, I'm sure. Okay. So my next book, almost hesitate to recommend this one because it's kind of heavy. Um, Man, I have so many good ones to recommend, guys. We're going to have to cut out some or something. But... Principles, Life and Work by Ray Dalio. Ray Dalio is one of the most successful investors and entrepreneurs in American history. Um, like, yeah, very good. He started Bridgewater Associates, um, which is a really good case study in good um, corporate structures and culture. Uh, it's been, yeah, been the focal point of many uh, books and articles in, in the business world. Um, and essentially, the book is a, it reads like a textbook, so it's kind of boring, that's why I hesitate to recommend it. It's big, thick, boring, etc. Um, the principles he's found for both personal life and work, like how we think about work, how we do work, the principles he's found that that work the best, like boil down, this is how I run my life. And coming from one of the most successful um, men in, in business history, um, that makes me like, oh, I want to I wanna see how, how does this guy run his life? Like that's going to be interesting. Um, Because he has a family and things like that. Um, If you're in any kind of organizational leadership or leadership of any kind, really, this is a goldmine and you you should read it. Um, It is kind of heavy read, but wow, it's, yeah, it's really good. Things like um, how they've built a company culture around radical honesty and integrity and what that looks like and how to do that. And um, the things that matter in a, in a, in the culture and the people around you, like how do you bring good people around you to work with, um, and avoiding toxic work environments. And yeah, it's, ah, it's just really good, but it might be a bit of a heavy read for, for some people. I really enjoyed it. Learned a ton since I do help lead an organization. So probably not one that's going to be high on your list though, I'm guessing. Well, you know what? <laughs> I've read basically zero books along those that lines in my life. Mm-hmm. But I could see it being helpful, so <laughs> I will take this recommendation. Actually, um, uh, yeah, you know, you mentioned Stephen Covey a bit earlier. Mm. Uh, books like that, also, I haven't read at all. But I can imagine them being helpful, and I think you think you're beginning to make a case for it. So, yeah, yeah I might. It's yeah. I mean, it's like the best. You're tempting I mean, it's me. So good. I, it's on the shelf. Once we're done recording, I'll go show Jared and try to convince him it's worth his time. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, yeah. It's yeah. It's it's really good. Anyways, right. sorry. M- moving on. Yeah. So what's your what's your next? My book? next book is The Man Who Was Thursday. Ooh. A Nightmare by oh. G.K. Chesterton. It is a lovely, delightful, beautiful, well written, hilarious, captivating novel. Um. It can almost be approached as a frivolous thing. Um, Superficially, it doesn't have a lot of depth. If you look beneath the surface, it's heavily theological and philosophical. So there's a few levels you could read it on. Um, If you read it deeply and it makes sense to you, do let me know what it means. I have no idea what the book means. If you read it superficially... You will be charmed and entertained. 
So whatever your approach, do read this book. You will be better for it. So this is interesting because that one's been on my like giant. I have a massive to read list and it just keeps growing no matter what I do. This one's been on that list for a very long time. So I think your recommendation just pushed me over the edge. I just bought it on Amazon. They're only $6. So like, hey. What could go wrong? Yeah, what could go wrong? Hey, Amazon Prime will bring me a, a glorious new book by G.K. Chesterton here in a couple of days. I love it. <laughs> oh, man. This is going to be so hard to trim this list down, guys. I think the full list I'll put up on my website. Um, because, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to have to skip some. Okay, so here's one for you. The Clock of the Long Now by Stuart Brand. Have you heard of the Long Now Foundation? No. Oh, wow. It's so good. So my brother-in-law, Kyle Stolswees, recommended this to me like years ago. And I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. And I like checked them out on eBay. And I thought at the time, oh, they're kind of expensive. And then this year, I was like, I wonder about that book. So I looked it up again. And then I found the used copy. It's been out of print for quite a while now. It was like 1999 when it came out, just before the, before the millennium. Um, and I got it. And it blew my mind. Like, it is an incredibly good. Um, so Stuart Brand did a lot in, like, science education and stuff. And this is kind of the pinnacle of his life's work on trying to reframe how we as a people, as humanity, thinks about time. So he started the Long Now Foundation. And the Long Now Foundation's goal, you can just look it up at longnow.com, I think, is to build a the world's slowest computer, which is a giant clock in the middle of a mountain, a huge granite mountain that they bought in Wyoming, I think, and bore down into the core of this mountain, put a clock down there, big, massive clock, that will run without human intervention for 10,000 years. It's a giant working monument, basically. And it's like this whole like huge infrastructure thing that they're building. It's massive. And I'd heard about this before, and that's why I ended up buying the book, because it's just like, that seems so random. And the book is basically his thesis on why this is something we should do and how humans should be thinking about time. And it's really hard to sum without doing like a whole episode on it, which we really should do, because yeah, it's insane. Um but it kind of broke my brain. Like the, the, it's such a good book. It's a pretty short book. Um, and I don't think I can recommend it highly enough. I really don't. I don't think we as humans think about time well, and that's his whole premise. Like we think of time in like, like today or maybe tomorrow or like next week, but we don't think of time as in like next decade, 50 years, a hundred years. Hey, how about a thousand years from now? And he's like, we need to change that. Like we as a, as humanity, we need to change how this is. So I'm going to build a giant clock that will run for 10,000 years to force us to th- reframe how we think about time. Uh, it's a lot more complicated than that, but that's kind of the, the synopsis. Um, I have never heard of such a thing. That yeah. is bizarre. It is insane. That's fascinating. It's brilliant. So, so the Long Now Foundation includes the clock of the Long Now, but other things too. Like they, they're trying to preserve the essentials of knowledge of the human race in forms that cannot be destroyed. So that's why the clock's in the middle of a mountain. It's as far away from like tectonic activity as they can get. It's like could survive nuclear strikes. It, like it's, it's it actually could last for 10,000 years. And they're building a archive down there of the most important books in, in human history, but they're engraved on sheets of 
metal. Like they look like records and I forget what kind of metal, but it will like, it will literally last for thousands and thousands of years without corroding or, or deteriorating. And they micro etched the pages of the book. So all you need is a microscope and you can read the thousands of books that they've curated over many, 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 many years trying to hone down where the most important books for humanity and trying to preserve that knowledge. And that, and that's part of this long now foundation as well. And it's like buried inside this mountain. I love this. It's so good. Why didn't the ancient Egyptians or the civilizations past have this? I know. I mean, you, who would blame oh. them? I wouldn't have thought of that. But archaeologists in 100,000 years will thank this guy. Yes. Yes, they will. Yeah. And that's, oh, man. Yeah. And he just, he unpacks the theory of, of it and how they're going to do it. How are you going to build a clock to run for 10,000 years? Like, what would be the power mechanism, for example? And and this is engineering marvel. And they're actually doing it. Like, they've started construction. It's not finished yet. It's very slow going, obviously. But even, and even if they never do it, I think the book was just really good for us to be thinking these things. Um, anyways, I did a whole podcast episode on some of these concepts with my brother that'll come out at some point and you guys could, could learn more there. And I, I want to review this one and do a full episode on it sometime. Um, yeah. but anyways, that was my recommendation. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's a delightful recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Buy it. <laughs> Get it. <laughs> my next book is Amusing Ourselves to Death by Neil Postman. Oh, yeah. It's a classic. So I'm sure many of you have heard of it before, but, um, it's an important book. It was quite influential, and this year I finally read it, and I'm glad that I did. Um, it's a critique of digital media. I think it was written in the 1980s, so his concern at the time was television, but it can easily be applied to, I mean, even more so relevant now than it was in the 80s, and we would apply it to different internet medias. Um, so yes, read it. Um, I think you will find it to be helpful. Hmm. Another one that's been on my list for a long time. I just never got around to it. Yeah. 1985, according Mm -hmm. to the internet. That's a long time ago. That's well worthwhile. Hmm. More relevant now than ever. Hmm. So my next book is man's search for meaning by Victor Frankel. Um, this is a classic as well, and I honestly can't believe I hadn't read it till now. I'm not sure how I missed this one. Um, we had actually reviewed the Gulag Archipelago uh, on another episode, um, and this is in a somewhat similar vein, but not really. It's it's about the extremes of human existence. Um, he was a survivor of Auschwitz, but is also a trained um, psychologist as well. So he's like analyzing this as it's happening, and he wrote the book. Um, pretty soon after getting freed. So it's honest and deep look inside the human mind and asking questions like how can life have meaning when everything's been taken away? Um, and his core thesis is that life has meaning even in the face of the most, the most extreme suffering. Like he, he literally loses everything, like his whole family and just everything that he owns. It's immensely profound, terribly sad, incredibly inspiring. Um, yeah. Yeah. Read it. It's, yeah it's just really good hmm that sounds sad it is really sad but it's also very hopeful too Hmm. it's like how you can find meaning and hope even in the worst of places and he breaks that down and what that looks like and yeah it's really good my next one is the platonic tradition 
by Peter Kraft. Hmm. It's philosophical, but I found it to be helpful. Um, basically, I mean, there's a lot of particulars in the Platonic tradition that could be discussed, that he does discuss. But basically, I will say that it helped to reinforce the indebtedness of Christianity and the West to Platonism and the Platonic tradition. Um, and that's actually a good thing. There's many ways in which Christianity doesn't make as much sense without the background of Platonism. Some might see it as dry, tedious, boring, philosophical. I saw it as tremendously helpful in making sense of the faith, my standing in it, and the relationship between irreligious and pagan philosophies um, that preceded Christianity and Christianity itself. This does look really good. Huh. Yeah, I'm going to have to look that one up. That's a good recommendation. Yeah, it really messed with me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good. Nice. All right. So the last one on my list, Atheist Delusions by David Bentley Hart. Oh, I've heard of that one. Yeah, yeah. So this is my first, it was my first encounter with the works of David Bentley Hart. He's a really intelligent fellow. Um, has, yeah, a lot of work that he's been producing in the last 10 years. Um yeah, wow, this one's really good. It's a fascinating response to the new atheist movement, so to speak, like Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, like those kinds of people. Um, and and that movement, new atheism, basically claims that Christianity has absolutely nothing of value to add to the world, and it's incredibly harmful, and blah, 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 the, the whole thing. And Hart basically um, doesn't even do, he's like, he basically starts the book saying, I won't even give them the courtesy of responding to their arguments because their arguments are so stupid and juvenile that it's not even worth our time. And let's go a little deeper is basically where the book starts. And and I'm really glad he does because if you actually go and read something like Dawkins, it's it's it sounds like a grumpy old man screaming and ranting. And, and David uh, Bentley Hart is basically just saying, like, we don't even need to give these guys the time of day to listen to their rants and raves. This is ridiculous. Um, and instead goes a lot deeper. So it's a it's a brilliant look, basically, at church history and how it's affected the Western world and how it frames how we, how we think about these things. And um, the main point that I'd say I pulled out of it is that basically, and again, this is also one of the beginning premises that he has, no matter what argument has been placed against Christianity, somewhere in the 2,000-year history of Christendom, uh, the church has had to face that challenge and has overcome it because we're still here. And and he, he like, walks through those. And he basically says, like, what Dawkins and Harris and all these ranting, raving new atheists are doing is just regurgitating old arguments from before that the church has already responded to. They're not adding anything new to the conversation. They're just thinking that they're making some case, and it's like, we've already—the church has already faced these these challenges before. Um so basically, the book gave me a lot of really good historical frameworks for understanding the development of the church and also understanding those that have tried very hard to tear it down and have not succeeded. Um, and Dawkins likes to think he's a formidable challenge. Dawkins, Harris, whatever, think that they're a formidable challenge to the church. And David Bentley Hart is basically saying, yeah, no, they're not nearly that important. Like, they're actually not anywhere close to a formidable challenge at all. He even said something like, back in the day, Christianity used to actually have um, uh, 
this concept of like good enemies or like people that actually had some intellectual prowess that were attempting to take down Christianity. He's like, these new atheists aren't even close to that level. So, um, and so he, he's pretty harsh. He, he's pretty harsh. It's, it's sometimes it's like, whoa, okay, slow down a little bit there. But, but overall, yeah, it was excellent. It really, um, opened my eyes to a lot of things. I just didn't know about church history and, and it's, and the, the subtitle is, um, Christianity and its fashionable enemies or something like that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was quite interesting. You should yeah, give it a chance. So that yeah, that's my last two. Yeah. It's, it's he, he very entertaining. I read it's very entertaining <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I would love to read that. He is, he's very intelligent man. Like no question. Um, yeah, his his body of work is quite substantial. My last book is The Supper of the Lamb by Robert Farrar Capon. The subtitle is A Culinary Entertainment, which is very descriptive. It's entertaining and it's culinary. It is a cookbook. It's also a theology book. It's also a memoir. It's several things all at once, and it is beautifully written. Um, so I cook a little bit. But I'm by no means a culinary expert, so I won't comment on that side as much as just saying that the form is fantastic. He's a very, very good writer and knows how to keep his reader engaged. It's also theological and I think provides some helpful comments on the theology of the body or perhaps an anthropology, uh, theology of physicality and beautiful uh Beauty, aesthetics, so many things in this book. It's well worth anybody's time, whether they're interested in cooking or not. If you're interested in cooking and food, that might help you obsess over it a bit more, but I would recommend it to basically anybody. This this book looks so interesting. I'm just looking at it on Goodreads. Wow. How did you run into this? Um, Marlon. Marlon Summers introduced it to us. Wow. Yeah, it feels kind of random, but it looks really interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't have stumbled upon it if somebody had not recommended it to me. I, I would like to recommend it to others, pass it on, spread the joy. Wow, so uh, so I think there you have it. That is our top uh, books for this year. I'm not even sure how many we went through. What was that, like eight? Uh, 16, I think eight each. Eight each, nice. Um, yeah, it's been a good book for reading, and hopefully 2023 will be uh, as well. Uh, always down to learn something new. So. Yeah, certainly will be. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode. Um, it's been an honor to have you in our audience for another year. As always, we'd like to hear from you. So feel free to connect with us on Twitter or follow us on Goodreads. Friend us there. We'll follow your books, too.